lot of what's happened in our country over the last two years, um, there's been kind of a, a steeper decline. Um, for those of you that don't study that kind of thing, since the 1960s, believe it or not, there has been a steady decline in church attendance in America since the 60s. And then when the pandemic hit, those first few months of the pandemic, they, some people that study this stuff, they said that the whole speed by which the church was in decline jumped forward four years in the first six months. So people got stressed out. People expected differently of Jesus, right? And then I started going back and I'm looking at, at this idea, is it really harder to follow Jesus now than it was when he walked the face of the earth, when he sat at the campfires, when he washed the disciples' feet, when he taught the masses on the hillside? Is it really harder to follow Jesus now? I don't think so, based on what Jesus said. Because I think Jesus has always made it quite challenging to follow him. Jesus always had very high demands. And I think a thinking person that was listening to Jesus when he spoke and when he, when he prayed and when he lived his life, I think a thinking person would have found it very difficult to follow him. Sometimes we read the Bible stories and it seems like it was so easy, right? Jesus walks up to two fishermen and James and John and he says, hey, come follow me. And they leave their nets behind and they follow him. And it's just like this yay kind of happy-go-lucky thing that they were there and they were fishing and they got their nets and Jesus says, hey, guys, follow me. Sure, they drop their nets and they just go. And it just looks so easy. It just looks so simple. Peter preaches on the day of Pentecost and 2,000 people get saved. Jesus tries to get alone with his disciples on a hillside and all of a sudden he turns around and he sees thousands of people that have somehow discovered where he was and they have found him and now he's like, oh great, I gotta feed them. And so it's always been this kind of challenge to follow Jesus. If we really looked at it and we took more than a cursory look at the scriptures, and so this one passage of scripture that I want to start this morning, and I'm actually going to be a nice pastor and put this one on the screen, and the rest of them you're going to have to look up in your own Bibles. And if you need a Bible today, there are plenty at the back um, table, and you're free to take that with you, um, by the way, if you, don't, if you need one. But this passage in Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 34, is one of those passages that a thinking person would have looked at and said, oh, Maybe I don't want to drop my nets and leave. Maybe I don't want to search for him on a hillside and find him, but maybe I don't want to follow Jesus. Notice what he says. He says, in calling the crowds to his, crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul. For what can a man gain in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. So Jesus, right at the outset, makes it very, very challenging. He sets the bar really high. And he says to us, if you're going to follow me, if you're going to come after me, that phrase not only means follow him, but it means to follow him in order to become like him, right? With the purposes of doing what he does and the purposes of taking on his character, a, per a person that reflects what Gail was just singing about, a little more like him and a little less like me, right? And so when you think about that passage and you think about what it requires to follow Jesus, now throughout the years, um, pastors and Christians have kind of taken what Jesus said 
and we try to lower the bar. We just want to make it so comfortable for you to follow Jesus. We want to make it so easy for you to follow Jesus. And what would motivate a pastor to take the standard of Jesus and lower it to make it easier? What would motivate a pastor to do that? His own pride. His own pride. His own desire to see himself as successful and meaningful. Lower the standard. Get more people in. Feel better about yourself. And Jesus just shakes his head at that. Because Jesus at the outset said, if you're going to follow me, the bar is way up here. It means at the start, this isn't like a mature Christian thing. This is like a start thing. (laughs) This is like a I don't know anything about Jesus thing. Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, abandon your whole life to me. Huh? Well, I thought I'd give you an hour on Sundays when I felt like it. Well, I thought I would give you my problems, but not necessarily some of my desires, my goals, the things I want to achieve, not necessarily my person and who I am. No, Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, like, surrender your whole life to me. And in fact, when Others kind of ridicule you for that. If you're ashamed of me, I'm going to be ashamed of you before the Father. So it's like this high, high level of total surrender. So if that's the, it's, if that's the, the, the standard at the beginning, if that's what is required of us. See, now, I'm not sure about you. Maybe, maybe you in your life, you're, you're like that picture that we often see of people in the Bible. That Jesus just comes to you and he tells you, hey, follow me. And you're like, okay. You're the type of person that, you know, you're going to the grocery store and, you know, you see the homeless person asking for food and you, you just, you don't ask any questions. Jesus says, buy them groceries. And you're like, sure. And you come out with three carts because you, you just have such this kind of faith in Jesus. You just have this openness to him that makes it so easy for you to always say yes. If, if that's you, I admire you. And I think, man, I wish I was a little more like that. But I'm a skeptic at heart. And I, I would be that person in the crowd when I heard Jesus say that in Mark 8. I would be the person that went, whew, I don't know about that. Man, why would I, why would I turn my life over to you? What's like, why, why would I do that? I mean, I, I need a good reason. I, I, I need more than... I'll turn you into success in your occupation. I, I, I'm a pretty intelligent person. I probably go out and achieve things. Don't need Jesus to go make money. I could probably go do that on my own. You know, a lot of non-Christian people are successfully academically, and they're successful um, in business, and they're successful in a lot of areas of life. They live a, a great life. That's why one of the problems is some of the people that have it very well, and they're very intelligent, and Sometimes it's very hard for them to see a need for God because they're pretty high-functioning, self-sufficient people. And so I need a good reason, right? I need a good reason because I look across the Christian landscape and I see Christians suffering from the same things non-Christians do. You ever lose a loved one? Oh, yeah. Before you were a Christian and after. Christians, non-Christians lose loved ones. You ever get really bad news about your health? Yeah, Christians get that. You ever lose your job? Yeah, Christians lose that. Christians suffer the same loss, right, Carol, as 
non-Christians do. There doesn't seem to be a distinction between Christians, as they're following Jesus, just kind of have this path where everything is amazing, and then if you're not following Jesus, you just have all this loss in your life. No loss seems to appear across the board on both sides of that issue. So as I look at the world and I, I hear this about Jesus, I think to myself, I, I need a really good reason. And then when I look to you as your pastor, I believe that you too need a really good reason because a lot of things come into your life. A lot of things that are confusing, a lot of things that don't make any sense, a lot of things that you didn't ask for. And in fact, sometimes you pray for things and God just seems to ignore you, right? <laughs> you ask for things and God gives you the opposite. And it's like, well, what is, what's kind of the deal here, right? So this morning what I want to do is I kind of want to settle in and on two passages of Scripture that if you've been listening to my teaching for any length of time, these scriptures are not new to us. I've, I've taught on these before. I've referred to them quite often because there are two passages of scripture that have kind of really helped shape my understanding of humanity and my understanding of Jesus. And then today what I want to do with these two passages of Scripture that are very familiar to us is that I, I want to take them and perhaps draw an application that maybe you have not seen before. I don't believe that I've taught this application before, but the good thing is we're kind of on some good kind of ground, right? This is really isn't new to most of you. If you're new to our church and you're new to listening to my teaching, then um, these passages aren't quite so new to you, but we'll bring you up to speed. Okay? We'll all be okay by the time this is over in a few moments. But I want you to think about this one overarching thought with me for a moment. This, this reason why to follow Jesus. Notice these words. It's a little bit of a lengthy statement, but you're smart people. You can follow. We want to follow and become like Jesus because He is the image of God. Excuse me. As the image of God is what humanity was created to be. I'll let that settle in for a second. Hmm. You see, Jesus is what humanity was meant to be. And when something inside of me is craving to be better, right? Craving to grow, craving to mature, craving maybe to be a better grandfather, better parent, better friend, just an all-around better person, there's this craving in me to be better. Then we see Jesus and we hear Jesus and we start to investigate the four gospel accounts and then the letters that were written about him afterwards and we start to look at Jesus and we start to see something in him that just resonates with us. It resonates with all humanity. Maybe we don't quite put our finger on it, maybe we can't really articulate it, but it starts to kind of draw us in. It'll draw us in even though we're hearing Jesus say things like, hey, if you're going to uh, follow me, then pick up your cross daily and follow me. If you're going to save your life, lose your life. Jesus says all this confusing things, and you're like, but I still, I'm, I'm just kind of compelled to follow him. This sounds hard. This sounds crazy. It sounds like Jesus talks like opposite of everybody else, and he's so demanding, right? And he sets the bar so high, but there's something that's just kind of driving me forward, to stay with him. I, I think if we really start looking at this issue and really start praying through this and thinking through this, I think 
that the reason why humanity is compelled to follow Jesus is because somehow, some way, He resembles what we know we really want to be ourselves. Hmm. Let's unpack this a little bit. Let's go back to Genesis chapter 1, very familiar passage of Scripture for those of you that have been listening to any length of time. I've mentioned this recently, um, actually quite a few times. But you'll notice in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, it says this, very familiar words. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let him have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all of the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created the male and female. So I've alluded to this in a lot of different contexts because I think this passage of Scripture really speaks to a lot of things that we're dealing with in our culture. But when I start to look at this, you think to yourself, mankind was created in the image of God. In other words, if an outsider, and in this context where this gets a little freaky, is that there are outsiders in this scene. I know you're thinking there's God and He has yet to create humanity, but there are others watching this. And it gets really weird within Christianity, and this is when you get this, catch this phrase, the cosmic perspective of Christianity. And I know you're like, cosmic, ooh, Star Wars, no. The cosmic perspective of this, think about this for a second. There was no human created yet. Yet, we have this language of God speaking, let us make man in our image. Huh. Now, there's a lot of Trinitarian theology in there. The Father and the Son and the Spirit all there. That's who's having the conversation. The fancy word for that is the Godhead or, the, or God in this expression of Father, Son, Holy Spirit creating in our image. But yet, there's another kind of perspective if humans are supposed to reflect the image of God be image bearers we're supposed to show up and go this is what God's like can you imagine (laughs) like this is what God intended that humans would show up on the scene and go this is what God's like that's what God is talking about here but who in the wide world are humans showing up to go this is what God's like who's watching Oh, the spirit world is watching. You know, two classes in the spirit world that make it really kind of simple is we have angels and we have demons. Because there's a lot of talk over when that whole thing happened with Lucifer and the third of the angels and all of There's a lot of all that talking. Some people would tell you, a lot of it's a mystery to this guy, but some people will tell you that these beings were created long before you and I. And Lucifer, the bright morning star, had deceived a third of them. And so in this kind of thing where a third of the angels have been deceived and a third of the angels have rejected God in their place with him, Lucifer has become the devil, has become Satan, and now God shows up on the scene and says, let me show you what I'm like. Let us create man in our image and this being that I'm going to create, this being that I'm going to create will show up on the scene and go, this is what God's like. And through this being, I will show you my creative power, my ruling power. I'll show you my love and my grace because I'm going to give them the ability to create. 
they're going to make more of them. The male and the female will get together and produce more life. And when you see male and female coming together producing more life, you say, that's what God's like. And then when I give them a garden, I give them a a place, I give them an an earth, a world, and they care for it and manage it and rule over it. In this caring, ruling authority, humanity is going to show up on the scene and go, this is what God's like. So all along, humanity was created in the image of God to be creative, powerful rulers and sustainers. Humans were supposed to show up and say, this is what God's like. But you know the story as it progresses through Genesis very, very quickly. It appears in the story very quickly. But we don't know actually in time how long that was because we know Adam and Eve lived to be over 900 years old. 900! And we have no clue how old they were. When sin and the fall, chapters 2, 3, 4, we have no idea. Were they two? Were they 899? Were they 10? Don't know. But somewhere in this journey, they chose to rebel against God, and the whole thing got clouded and broken and twisted. And humanity had the ability to create. But now humanity was fallen and bent towards sin and destruction. So now you take this very powerful being called a human who can create, who can rule, who can manage, who can exercise power and authority. Oh no. Oh no. Humans are so powerful and in their ability to create, they're now creating all sorts of evil. All sorts of catastrophes and problems. And we need someone else to show up and go, this is what God's like. Because humans aren't up to the task anymore. And so then Jesus shows up. See, because mankind was created in the image of God to be used of Him in creation and stewardship of the world. But that, that has become what it is. But then we turn our attention to the passage of Scripture in Colossians chapter 1. Go there in your Bible soon, all the way to the other side if you're following in your Bible past. Quite a bit, right? Genesis, Colossians, a lot has taken place. A lot of stuff. (laughs) But then we start to get this description of Jesus. Starting in verse 15 of chapter 1. We read this first statement. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is? I thought humans were. Oh, they were. But a lot has taken place. Humanity has lost its way. And so God becomes man. And in Jesus we see, this is what God's like. And all of us humans that have power and authority and this 
image of God that's been shaded and broken and shadowed and warped. We kind of know enough that when Jesus shows up and goes, this is what God's like, we would look at Jesus and say, and that's what I'm supposed to be. Huh. Somewhere inside me, there's this desire to follow him because in some way I think I should be like that. Because I'm a human, and long ago, my ancestors and your ancestors were created in the image of God to create and to rule and to manage and to hold all things together, but we've lost control of everything, and there's this one that is now coming back. There's this Jesus. And so we're compelled to follow him, even though he makes statements, though, as, hey, if you're going to follow me, you've got to turn your whole life over to me. I'm compelled to do that because somewhere in me I realize that He is what we all really want to be like because He's the image of God. And then it moves on. He says He is the firstborn over all creation. Now that is not necessarily first in chronological order. It is first in supremacy and authority. So He's like the head of all that has been created. So you were created, humanity was created with this kind of hum, with this power and authority, but now here comes one that's higher than us. Okay. All right. And then it goes on, he says, he, for, and they give the reason, by him all things were created. He was part of that conversation, let us make man in our image. And in heaven and on earth, invisible or invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So you, when you start to look at this understanding of Jesus in this description of Jesus, he's answering all of the kind of questions that you and I have of what has happened to humanity. We were created to be these image bearers of God, but it's, we've trashed the whole thing. We were meant to be rulers in authority, and holding things together and managing things, but everything is spun out of control. And then there's this Jesus that shows up and says, hey, I'm here to show you what God's like, and I'm here to show you what you should be and what you were always meant to be. I'm here to satisfy that longing in your heart to be really you. See, and that is so much in our culture today, isn't it? Self-actualization, self-expression, that we have to find out, we'll, we'll, we'll find fulfillment in life and contentment in life and power in life when we get to realize who we really are on the inside and then express that out on the outside and then we'll find peace, joy, and contentment. No, you won't. Because what you're looking for is you look inside and can't find it, so it's expressed in all these different ways. You're really looking to have the image of God restored in you. That's what you're really looking for. And until you come to that conclusion you will have nothing but continual seeking in your life. Seeking this pleasure, that pleasure, this goal, that goal, the relationships, this, that, and the other thing until you realize that there are no answers out there. And we need to turn back to this one who restores this image in us. Moving forward in the passage, we discover that in his humanity, Jesus leads the church reconciling all things to himself. Now think about that for a second, going down to verse 18. And he is the head of the body of the church. 
He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, that in everything he might have the, be preeminent. In other words, be the boss, be in control. For in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Huh. So humanity was created in the image of God to create and to rule and to reign. We chose to rebel against our Creator and we wrecked the whole thing. Jesus comes back on the scene and He says, I'll show you, I am the image of God and I am rebuilding and bringing all things back into a resemblance of what God had in mind. And He's doing that work through and he didn't ask for my advice on this, or I told him maybe to pick a different group, but he said he's going to do it through this thing called the church. <laughs> really? Jesus, we got a lot of problems in the church. We do a lot of things wrong. We get a lot of things all twisted up. We, we, we got, we, and he, he's going to use us. This is the vehicle. Oh, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want church. I get it. Sometimes I don't either. But this is what he's decided to do. He didn't ask our opinion. He said, I'm going to do it through this church. I'm going to bring this collective body together that was created in my image, has power to create, has power to rule, but they're kind of screwy. But I'm going to come and I'm going to infuse them with my spirit and I'm going to lead them forward and we're going to do this together and somewhere within you and I that kind of connects and like a person I always need a good reason to do things and when it comes down to it I'm following Jesus because he is what we are always supposed to be and so I'm compelled to put up with and to go through the things that I really don't understand and that puzzle me and keep me up all night or as my daughter would say Give me the twisties because you just twist around in bed instead of going to sleep. You ever get the twisties? <laughs> I have a lot of questions for Jesus. So the challenge for us then becomes this morning is I want to challenge you to see something. I want to challenge you if you look on the screen and read this statement with me. And as you see humanity fighting over power, and the unification of others underneath that power, know that it is sin's stain on how we were meant to be image bearers of God. Why don't you think about that for a second? See, some of you, it's a power of one. It's you. You want to do what you want, when you want, where you want, with whom you want. You want to be the God of your own world. You don't want anybody to tell you anything. You don't want to listen to anyone. You want to do what you want to do, how you want to do it, when you want to do it, with whom you want to do it. That is you playing the role of God. That is a, that is a warped, twisted position that you've come to because you are a powerful being. You are intelligent. You are smart. You are wise. You have the power to create much in your life. You can do a lot of things. You are amazing because you were created in the image of God. And you have the power to create and you have the power to control. You have that as a human. But when you misuse it for selfish purposes, it ends in disaster for all those around you and an incomplete life for you individually. 
We also do that in our world. You notice. You notice it. I don't have to point it out. You can read the paper. You can watch the news. You can go on YouTube. You can go on social media. You can go on any venue you want. And we are smack in the middle of a power grab everywhere. Do it my way, how I want you to do it, when I want you to do it, where I want you to do it, in those ways. And if you believe me, and if you go with me, be a part of my group, everybody else is misled. Everybody else is blind. Everybody else is wrong. Don't listen to them. Listen to me. Let's huddle together. Why? If indeed our political system has been corrupted by the desire of power and greed, if indeed it has been that, it is for no other reason that there's humans. Because humans were created to create and exercise power and authority. Humans were created to do that. So when you put a bunch of humans in a position of power, what are they going to do? Use it. They're going to use it. And what are they going to do? Control. Always. And what are they going to do? Try to put everything under their system. This is what humans do. Humans create and control and then gather people like themselves to do the same. Because you were created like that. But like a powerful weapon in the hands of an evil person, so is the human heart and the power of the human heart to create, control, and rule over. Outside of God and left to yourself, we will get what we've received. Hmm. I think that's why we're in the position we are in. I think that's why we see so much greed and so much power and so much corruption, is because that's what humans do. And so when humanity, this is the last slide, you can go to that one, when humanity refuses to follow Jesus, we get our current cultural condition. Look at this. Humanity is not designed to govern itself. Our sin nature has destroyed the image of God in us so that our attempt to create and rule will always lead to chaos. Always. As an individual, when you attempt to control your own life and rule your own life, and you dismiss God and you say, I'm intelligent and I'm amazing and I can do this. I don't need religion. I don't need spirituality. I don't need the Bible. I don't need the church. I don't need God. I don't need any of that. I've got it for myself. You will inevitably create chaos in your relationships because you're powerful enough and creative enough to wreak all kinds of havoc outside of surrender to God. Hmm. So the choice that you have as an individual is to really have this good reason to follow Jesus, to say he is what humanity was created to be. He is what I was created to be. And if I line myself up with him, I will live out my full potential in relationship with my creator and the power that he has given me to create. I can create good. I can create life in other people. I can create encouragement and grace and mercy and love and beauty. I can create that because I'm a being that was created to create and I can keep my stuff together. I can keep my life from flying out of control because I can be connected to, to the Creator who does that as a whole. As I'm connected with Him, I can bring my world back into order because I was created as a human being to live saying this is what God's like and creative and powerful. And when I realign myself to God, 
I can see in Jesus what humanity was always supposed to be.